0: Our agenda for today.
1: Okay, so our agenda for today is um, our land acknowledging that we'll start off with, our introduction of our panelists, our um, Professor Linda's presentation, uh, the graduate student representative, and uh, last, a QA. And just a reminder for everyone to please feel um, free to turn on your cameras. On if you are comfortable and remember to keep your mics off if you are not speaking. And as well, if you have a question or comment, please raise up your hand and the presentation will be recorded for you guys to see, um, see you later.
0: So the land acknowledgement. So welcome. We are not all gathered in the same space. We recognize that this land acknowledgement might not be for the territory that you are currently on We ask that if this is the case, you take responsibility to acknowledge the traditional territory you are on and the current treaty holders. We recognize that many Indigenous nations have long-standing relationships with the territories upon which York University campuses are located that precede the establishment of York University. The significance of giving that acknowledgement is essentially showing recognition for respect to Indigenous peoples and their traditional and ancestral territories which are essential elements of establishing healthy reciprocal relations. It is also the way forward in the steps towards reconciliation between Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples. York University acknowledges its presence on the traditional territory of many Indigenous nations, their The area known as Tukoronto has been taken care of by the Anishinaabek Nation, the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, the Wendat, and the Métis. It is now home to many Indigenous peoples. We acknowledge that the current treaty holders of the Mississauga of the Credit First Nation, this territory is subject to the Dish With One Spoon wampum belt Covenant, an agreement to peaceably share and care for the Great Lakes region. Oops.
1: Okay. Okay. so our goals for this presentation are um, to learn who to ask and what you should be doing to engage with your professors prior to asking, how to ask your professors for references and what to say in an email or during office hours, what information professors need before they can provide decide to provide a reference and how to make it easy for a professor to say yes and what to do if a professor says no and most importantly what not to do when asking for references so just a little
0: introduction of our guest today we have abraham joseph who is a doctoral student at york university prior to that he graduated with a bachelor of science in psychology at york university and then went on to Uh, Pursue a master's in public health, sorry, um, health policy and equity at York University. And currently, he's a teaching student for health and equity at York University. And now we also have Professor Linda Van Drummel, who will be presenting today. And so I will stop share and allow her to share her screen.
2: Thank you, Maria. Um, First of all, I recognize many people who are in the room here today um, and uh, I thank you for coming to listen to what I have to say. Uh, I thought that this might be uh, a useful piece of information because I know that many students worry and stress about references and are not really sure how to get started or to go about it. So I've got a a short little presentation that I'd like to provide. And then after the presentation, happy to um, take some questions. So just give me a moment to share my screen. And so I need to preface this presentation to say that um, there is a little bit of strategy, when you are requesting a reference letter. And there are things you can do to improve your chances of getting a yes. Um, And so the following presentation really is just tips and opinions from me. And uh, so please take it with a grain of salt because there are other professors who may prefer a different approach. Um, So what I've tried to do is uh, maybe give you some things to think about as you are making your decisions around approaching different professors. Okay, the first thing that you need to know is that reference letters actually are a pretty significant document because this is a professor's endorsement to their own colleagues that you are a student that would be suitable for a program. And so, as you know, many of the schools in, Uh, Canada, it's a pretty small community. Most of the professors in different departments and different schools know one another because we collaborate, we work together, we see each other at conferences, we're aware of uh, one another's uh, research. And so um, there is a decision that a professor makes um, in order to feel comfortable if they are going to endorse you to their colleagues. And when they're asked to make this endorsement Um, They're asked to to provide examples and uh, give an endorsement in a number of different areas. And this could take the form of a written letter, or it could take the form of an evaluation form where the student is rated on a number of scales, and then a letter is attached. So first and foremost, professors are asked to comment on whether or not you are prepared academically. So this means that the professor reflects on your performance in in the courses that you've taken with them, also reflects on your writing skills and your presentation skills. Um, They also need to usually comment on how focused and committed you are as a student. So professors will consider things like attendance, um, your ability to meet deadlines and hand things in on time, um, whether or not you attended office hours, and the overall level of engagement that you may have um, demonstrated within a course. The professor will often be asked to comment on the type of learner that you are, and most graduate schools and professional schools are looking for evidence of independent learning, meaning that the student demonstrates that they're self-motivated, they're resilient, they're resourceful, um, and that is a good predictor of a student who's going to be successful in a graduate program. Oftentimes, there are questions around teamwork, so there are questions or the professors asked to comment on whether or not the student is considered a team player. So how does the student uh, perform in group work do they demonstrate leadership skills in the classroom do is there evidence of the student being um, a collaborator and working well with others and then finally. Um, there's always a question around whether or not the student is suited for the position that they're applying for. So this could be a job if you're asking your professor for a job reference, or it could be a graduate program. And this is where the professor is um, commenting on things like your critical thinking skills and your research skills. When schools ask for references, they're asking the professor for specific examples of these characteristics. So it's not enough for the professor to say that, um, you know, the student is committed to their work and shows leadership skills. Um, A high quality and effective reference letter actually explains to the school instances and examples of where the professor observed this in the classroom or observed this during their interactions with the students. So, you also have to think strategically. Um, Depending on what you're applying for, you want to think about which professors actually had the opportunity to observe these types of characteristics. If you're applying for a research uh, master's degree, then you probably want to think about professors who you've written research papers for. Um, So, if you've done, if you're doing a research project or you're writing, a literature review where you can show that you can take uh, academic literature, synthesize it, come up with a thesis, create a compelling argument, analyze the policy. Um, that would be, if you did it in a class for a professor, that might be a good professor to, um, to approach. So you really wanna think about these types of characteristics and then think of which professors are best positioned to be able to comment on these things. And I can tell you that regardless of the program you apply for, whether it's a master's program or a professional program, all of the reference letters ask, or the requests for references ask for professors to comment on these areas. Okay, so ooh, there we go. Um, when a professor is thinking about whether or not they can provide a reference, it's really all about knowing you and knowing you well. And so a professor needs to have name and facial recognition, Um, so you need to think strategically, how am I going to make sure that that the professor knows who I am. Um, The professor also needs to have a really good idea of your areas of strength, your, your very specific strengths in your both scholarship skills and also in those soft skills. So your leadership skills and your relationship skills. The professor needs to have an idea of what your goals and interests are. And they also have to be able to comment on your performance and your potential. So would they predict that you would be successful in um, the program that you're applying for? So you as a student need to think, what do I need to do in well, probably in the four years that you're in your degree, but I know um, realistically students may not start thinking about this until they're in their third year. So in your final two years of your degree, how are you going to make it happen that a professor knows you and knows you well? So it does take preparation. And so you're going to see a common theme in here, and I'm just going to share this again. This, these are my opinions and my experience. Um, but in class, um, first of all, you need to attend class. Um, I recognize that you know in the last two years there have been various formats of classes where some courses have only offered recorded lectures. Um, but your courses, if you have any in per, uh, sorry online courses going forward. Um, If the professor is offering offering a live streamed uh, lecture, attend, because the professor knows the names of the people who show up. Um, And so you get that name recognition. You also should ask questions because whenever the professor looks into the chat, sees your name in the chat, that's another sign um, and another way to implant that name recognition in the professor's brain. And finally, you should have your camera on. And I recognize it not in all situations can you necessarily have your camera on, um, but it is very helpful for a professor because they need to know more than your name. They need to be able to put a face um, to your name. And so many times I use um, fake backgrounds uh, because I don't want people to see what might be happening in the background of my house while I'm trying to teach or while I'm in a meeting. Um, But I can tell you that professionally, in the professional world, the expectation is that if you are attending a virtual meeting, that your camera is on. And so a professor wants to see that type of commitment to the class, um, because that is a good predictor of how the student is going to um, be in classes, whether it's a professional program or a um, a master's program. So you want to think about doing that in your classes. after class, you, you really should be involved in um, some type of activity that could possibly give you more chances to get to know a professor. Um, so, of course, getting involved in SAMPI, you have opportunities to make connections with professors and other York activities. Also, though, on a yearly basis, we'll send out uh, School of Health Policy and Management, may send out requests to get students to participate in focus groups. Um, or maybe even volunteer for something Um, that is a really great way to make a connection with a professor and I can tell you that a lot of the extracurricular things that I'm involved in as a professor I get to know the students who show up to those things Um, so you you want to make an effort to strategically think about what you could uh, maybe volunteer for or attend within your time limitations because I do understand too students are extremely busy. Um, tutorials, again, the same message is you, you should attend, you need to ask questions, and the tutorials are, are the place where strategically, if you're uncomfortable having your camera on, the tutorial is the place where you should have your camera on, because it's that smaller, more intimate situation where you're able to have, uh, I think, more in-depth and hopefully meaningful conversations with your professor or your TA, um, and You know, even though you may not be asking your TA for a letter of reference, um, oftentimes professors will ask TAs for their feedback if the professor is writing a letter of reference for a student. So if I know that a student is in one of my tutorials but not in mine, I will go to that TA and say, I'm putting together a letter of reference, do you have any feedback that I can incorporate into the letter of reference about how the student um, was in the tutorial? And then finally, office hours are so very important. And back in before COVID times, when office hours were in-person, I recognized that there probably was some limitation in students being able to attend office hours because you had to be on campus for that to happen. And sometimes professors would have office hours on days that you just weren't on campus or the office hours were on one end of the campus and your classes were all on another and there was no time to travel back and forth. Hopefully now, as we go forward, um, professors have figured out how to be more flexible in offering office hours. So um, there will be in-person office hours, but there may also continue, and I hope this is the case. For me, it definitely will be the case, Um, the availability to continue to have Zoom office hours. Um, And office hours are not just for talking about course material. Office hours are also for exploring career options for talking about research, um, maybe just even having a friendly chat about something related to health policy or health management that's happening in the media, and, and talking to your professor about what they think about it. That is a really strategic way to help the professor understand what your interests are and help them see how your interests may be related to professional goals. So you should attend office hours um, and you do not need a reason to go. You could just show up and say, I wanted to introduce myself and I wanted to make a connection and I wanted to find out more about your research or the other courses that you teach. Or I want to tell you about um, a project that I'm doing or my part-time job. Um, so please make use of office hours. And professors prefer students to come to office hours. We actually don't like to block off a couple of hours in our calendar and have nobody show up. So uh, please take advantage of those and ask questions during office hours. And here's where I'm very specific. My personal preference is if you come to my office hours, you should have your camera on um, because it's a one-to-one conversation. So my expectation is that if I'm going to be getting to know you better, I want to have eye contact. Um, So again, you just sort of have to think about strategically when um, if I'm not comfortable with having my camera on when should I really make an effort to put my camera on make sure I'm in the right environment using fake backgrounds if I want to hide where I am uh, or what's going on behind me and um, and use that camera so office hours are very important for for that okay So it takes preparation. So you do have to think strategically. So going into your winter semester, um, you really should be thinking about how am I going to make this happen? And looking over your courses, once you get your syllabus, figuring out again, strategically, when are you going to go to office hours? How many times per semester will you go to get to know the professor? And how are you going to sort of commit to um, having an engagement and a presence in the class? So how will you challenge yourself to ask questions? So remember, all of that plan is really back to ensuring that the professor knows you. Your goal is this. Your goal is that by the end of the semester or the end of the year, the professor has name and facial recognition for you. They know your areas of strength. They have had a discussion with you about your personal and professional goals and interests, and they have a better idea of your performance as a student and your potential for other programs. So realistically, this can't be accomplished with a few interactions. So going to office hours once in the semester may not be sufficient to make that happen. Um, So you want to think again about how you get that repetition with the professors so that they get to know you. And there is this myth of um, familiarity that happens. So, you know, if you go to every class and in person or online, and you feel like, oh, the professor always is looking at me, the professor knows who I am, they always see me, there's a chance that the professor still might not know who you are. So they might recognize your face, but they have never had a chance to really put the name to the face. And so when they're grading papers, um, they may not really understand that this person's name actually corresponds to the person who sits in the front row that they smile at every week. So, um, you really have to put those two things together for the professor. Um, and, uh, you know, I can say that, uh, you know, if you're teaching three classes in a semester and each class has 100 students or 75 students, um, there can be that myth of familiarity where students feel like they know you really well so you should know who they are, um, but you do have to do that extra little bit so that you make the connection for us. Um, I previously worked at a university where name cards were mandatory, so you had to have your name card out on your desk uh, for every class and I personally love that and I actually think that students benefited from that as well because we got to know um, who the students were in the class um, much quicker. Okay, So you're thinking about what your strategy is going to be for the next semester, how you're going to get to know the professor and get the professor to get to know you. You also need to start curating who you're going to try to get references from. Now, generally, if you're applying for a program, you will need three references. Some programs explicitly state all three have to be academic. So their expectation is that all three references are professors. Other programs may say two of them can be professors and one of them can be professional. So it could be your employer, or it could be perhaps if you do a lot of uh, volunteering um, through SAMPI and Stong, it could be a leader um, in one of the colleges. So it's good to ask the program or clarify if it's not made clear when you're applying. But you always need to have a list of more references um, that you're going to approach than what you actually need because you do have to be prepared for the terrible answer of no (laughs) and i know how um uh, how probably frustrating and devastating that can be when a student asks the question they get the courage up to ask their professor for a reference and the professor says no but the reality of the numbers game is that professors have to say no to to some students because they can't write letters for everyone. So the numbers game, um, if you think about a fourth year cohort in health health policy and management, there are approximately 200 students in fourth year. And then you think of the number of professors um, that you've had throughout the course of your degree just in health studies. And some of us you've had a few times, right? So you might've had us for two courses, you might've had some other professors for three courses. So when you think about maybe a handful of nine, 10 professors, um, and they're all getting requests from a cohort of 200 students, um, and that cohort, so let's say maybe only half of them are applying for, for graduate school or professional school, but let's say 100 students, And they're all applying for multiple things, so it's not just asking for one letter or one reference, but students are often asking for references for three programs or four programs that they're applying for. So that numbers game just essentially says you're going to get no's, so you do have to think again strategically about if I need three references, maybe you're going to approach five professors um, to see who's going to say yes. Okay, I don't mean to be so negative about that, but just realistic. I just want you to recognize that a no isn't necessarily personal, that they don't wanna provide a reference for you, but it is sometimes just the mathematics of it. Okay, so you've come up with your list of professors that you would like to approach. You now have to figure out what is the right method to approach them? Do I make an in-person request or do I make an email request? This again is another piece of strategy because it takes knowing your professor, so you might have gotten to know your professor a little bit and you might think I bet you this professor would prefer in person. While other professors, you think I know that professor just wants an email um, that they don't want me calling them or coming to office hours or approaching them after class. So you need to pick the one that is right for the professor you're approaching, but then also that is right for you, because there are some trade offs with both methods. Um, So if you decide to go in person, um, that means that maybe you uh, email the professor and say, would you mind if I set up an appointment to see you during your office hours? Um, And so if you show up during office hours with your camera on, it ensures facial recognition. So the professor is like, oh, yes, I remember you. You've been in two of my classes. Um, And you're not requiring them to match an email name with A face. (laughs) They're trying to figure out. I know that name, but I can't remember the face of that person. So an in-person request ensures facial recognition. Um, It also shows commitment. So I think it takes. um, Again, this is now my opinion. I think it takes a little bit more, perhaps even courage, um, to ask in person, face to face. Um, And so it's. I think it's a demonstration to the professor that you are committed and that you. Uh, that I think that you're showing a level of professionalism by having that face-to-face conversation. The drawback though is that it may take time to set up depending on the professor availability. And I know that time is tight for you when you're going through an application process. So oftentimes you get the application, then you've got a short period of time where you have to find your professors, talk to them, and get them to give you a reference letter. So you may be in a situation where you think there's no way that I can get an appointment with that professor in time and get an answer I'm going to go the email route so again you think about your trade-offs the bonus to an in-person request though is if you do go during office hours or set up an appointment with them it gives the professor a chance to ask follow-up questions so you can say what you want to say and that's going to be the next slide Um, And then the professor can ask more questions, and that may actually help the professor decide on the spot. Um, And depending on how you answer, it may get you to a yes, whereas had you emailed that exact same professor, the professor may have said no in an email. Um, So you're probably hearing a little bit of my bias. Um, My bias is towards an in-person request, but that's a personal bias because, again, um, it's usually easier for me to make a decision by putting a face to a name and then if i'm kind of iffy whether or not i can i know the, the student well enough if i'm having a conversation with them i can kind of figure out okay actually i think i i do have enough information about this student that i would feel comfortable writing a letter the other option is an email request so again um you know it's not that this would not be a way to go because i do think that there are some professors that might Uh, prefer this method. It gets you a quicker response. Oftentimes the professor can read your email, look at anything that you sent along with that email, and give you a response right away. Um, And some professors prefer to receive all of that documentation that I'm going to tell you about in the next step, um, and look at it to make their decision. But the drawback here is that they get a name in their inbox and they truly could be trying to figure out which student you were. You know, maybe you sat beside somebody else in class and they, the, the professor knew that, you know, these two students always sit together and I know one is one person and one is the other, but I'm not sure which is which. Um, so sometimes professors can struggle with, I can't really remember who that student is. Um, so you can make an email request and in that email request, you can offer to meet with them in person. Um, and the professor may take you up on that. So um, you got, again, this is all strategy. You need to figure out what's best for you and um, what works with the professor that you're going to approach. Um, But it's important to note that professional courtesy is that you do have this conversation with the professor about six to eight weeks before the letter is due. Um, And so the shorter that time period, the less of a chance you're going to get a yes. So asking a professor when the letter is due in three weeks or four weeks, um, you're probably going to have a smaller chance of the professor saying yes, and certainly asking a professor two weeks before the letter is due, you're most likely going to have to prepare yourself for a no. Um, And it's more about um, workload and workflow for a professor, um, that timeline, because what happens is all of the letters are due at the same time right so there are some letters that may be due in January some letters that are due in February and some letters that are due in March and so if a professor has has had a lot of requests they're already starting to sort of figure out in their calendar when am I going to do my letter writing so that I get all the letters in on time and there will be a point in time where the professor will say I now have too many students on my list. Like I can't say yes to any more students. Um, So, you know, it's more of a if if it's two weeks before the due date, chances are it's also two weeks before the due date for the 10 students who already got a yes from that professor. And the professor may decide at this point, I have to say no, because I already have 10 letters (laughs) that I'm working on for the January date. All right, so you need to be prepared you need to be prepared with all the information you have up front. And so you can put this into the email that you um, send to the professor if you're going to ask by email. Or you can indicate when you meet with the professor in person, here is all of the information that I can provide you. And you can talk about it in the in person uh, meeting and you can follow up by emailing it to the professor. So first of all, you have to be very clear where you are applying and what the timelines are. So if you clearly state, I'm applying to these three programs, program one, um, the letter is going to be due January 8th, program two, the letter is due January 28th, and program three, the letter is due March 5th. Um, First of all, that shows the professor that you're on it and you are organized. But it also helps them think about their calendar and think okay does that fit with the timing of the the letters that I'm already writing you also should be prepared to provide your background Um, professors will want to look over how you have prepared yourself for this program to contextualize what they know about you from your performance in the course so you should have an up-to-date resume and your resume, hopefully, your resume is ready at the point where you're asking for the um, the reference, um, but the professors will often ask for the personal statement as well. So for each program that you apply for, you usually have to um, give a, like a one-page personal statement. Um, the professor wants to see that as well. So if you're asking six to eight weeks ahead of time, your CV should be ready. Chances are you haven't started on your personal statement yet, that's okay but just let the professor know, I'm working on my personal statement and I'll have it to you X number of weeks before the due date Um, or at least a draft of it, right? So you can give them a draft that is approximately what your personal statement is going to say um, just to give them something to go on. You also want to be able to talk about and summarize why you think you're a good fit for the program. So it's important that you make the connections for the professor to say, you know, Here, here's what the program is offering here are my strengths and my areas of interest, and this is how I see it aligning. Um, Because that will also help the professor feel like okay I could frame a really good letter that that. Is able to emphasize this fit so you're kind of making it easy you're doing some of the work for the professor some of that thinking work so again you're trying to do everything you can to make it easier for the professor to say yes. You also will want to talk about or summarize specific examples. So remember I said at the beginning, um, these letters often require specific examples of behaviors and characteristics. So you should remind the professor of specific achievements and characteristics that you demonstrated in class. So you might be able to like give a an example of a situation, um, or you could offer to do that um, for the professor. I mean the professor now if you've already talked about your background and you've talked a bit about your strengths. The professor's probably now starting to remember specific examples as well, but it's always good to give the professor a little bit of a nudge. And then finally, there may be other information that the professor could ask for. So you should always offer to provide additional information if needed. Some professors will ask for additional writing samples So, um, you know, they may look back to an assignment that you did in their class, um, but they might ask for another sample, something that you submitted to another professor, um, because uh, oftentimes we're we're required to comment on the student's written communication and their ability to write papers and research assignments. And so um, it's good to just sort of get a, a better feel of what students are producing outside of the class as well. Um, Some professors, though, are just totally fine with the CV, the personal statement, and then pieces three and four on this slide. Okay, so getting to yes. How the professor makes the decision. So you've met with the professor or you've provided the email with the information. This is how the the professor tends to make the calculation they have to figure out, first of all, do I know the student well enough? So even though the student may have gone through all of the um, steps of providing all of this extra information, if the professor feels like they truly don't know that student well enough, they may need to say no. Because the, the professor has to also then reflect on, is this student a good fit for the program that they're applying for? So knowing the student and knowing if they're a good fit really They kind of interact right and so um, you need to have that information the professor will also reflect on whether or not they have enough time so do i have enough time to write these letters given the other letters that i'm writing and finally the professor will figure out do i have enough information to be able to assess the students preparedness for this program so all four of those things again you're thinking as I move into the next semester, strategically, how am I gonna make sure that I address all four of those components to improve my chance of getting the professor to say yes? The most common reasons for a no are, the professor just doesn't know the student well enough. And um, that, you know, that happens. Um, again, when you think it's a fourth year cohort of 200 students it really is impossible for a professor to know all 200 students really well. Um, So there could be a chance that the professor just says, I just don't feel comfortable enough, even though you've provided me with all of this information, I don't feel like I know you well enough to write you a high quality letter. And then um, the professor may also say no because they don't have enough time, because unfortunately we just can't say yes to all requests. So you do have to prepare yourself for a no, and recognize that um, it's not a personal slight. Um, it truly is the result of these two factors most of the time. And I wanna tell you that sometimes no is a good thing. So this is from the other side of reference letters. Um, so having sat on committees, admissions committees where I'm reading reference letters from other professors about students, um, this is how some of these letters are perceived. So as a student, you want the highest quality reference letter possible. So this means the letter needs to be detailed and specific. So if a professor says yes to you and they provide you with a vague letter and they don't give specific examples, that actually could do your application more harm than good because the admissions committee is really good at identifying generic letters where the prof doesn't really seem to know the student well and they just seem to have like thrown in some buzzwords and this reads like a letter that the professor could have written for any of their students. So if a professor says no to you because they don't know you well enough, they are in a way doing you a favor um, to ensure that the admissions committee doesn't receive a vague letter. Also, you want your reference letter to be submitted on time, so if the professor says no because they just don't have enough time. It's usually because they've agreed to a number of other letters and deadlines for students and they just can't agree to one more or two more or three more. And programs will consider your application incomplete, and it will not be reviewed if a professor misses a deadline for a reference letter. And. Um, It's a shame right like you you've worked so hard to get that letter in or sorry to get that um, application in. So you need to make sure that when your professor says yes, um, they're doing it because they have enough time, and you don't want a professor to say yes, because they feel guilty, but then they miss the deadline because they over prescribed themselves. Um, to doing this. So if they say no, for time reasons, again, they're kind of doing you a favor, um, because they don't want to mess up your application. And then finally, you have to think about um, how many other students may be applying to the same program from York university. So a professor may also say no, because once they find out the programs that you're applying to, if they have already agreed to write letters for 20 other students to the same program, they recognize that the admissions committee on the other side may perceive that as um, not a high value letter. Um, So let's, for instance, if everybody in this room, if I agree to write you a reference letter for a master's of public health program at um, University of Toronto, the admissions committee would get all of these York students, um, and let's see, there's 26 people in the room, so uh, 24, they'd get 24 letters written by me where I essentially am saying all of my students would be perfect for your program. That might be true, but the admissions committee perceives that as oh, she just writes a letter for anybody. Um, so sometimes professors will make that decision as well. They may say, you know, I'm I'm already writing a bunch of letters for some students who are going to the University of Waterloo or U of T, and it just won't look good from the admissions committee if all of the letters are from me. So again, um, sometimes no is a good thing. And if the professor is saying no, they they are actually thinking not only about themselves and their time, but how much value um, they can contribute to your your application, and if they don't think that they're going to be able to contribute value, then that may be one of the reasons that they say no. Okay, so I don't wanna end though on the no, because um, you will get yeses. And you will get yeses if you have a strategy and a plan. So again, thinking about going forward from today, Um, how are you going to organize your winter semester? And then for those of you who are in third year, how are you going to organize your fourth year so that your professors know about you and know you well? And that at the end of the semester, they can comment on these four areas because if you position yourself so that they can do this, your chance of getting them to say yes when you do need to ask for a reference will be much higher. And that's the end of my presentation.
0: Great, thank you so much, Linda, for that. That was amazing. Um, Yeah, so I hope everybody is, uh, learned a lot from what Linda had to say. I think that it was really informative and it opened my eyes and my perspective on asking for references. Um, yeah, so we also have a graduate student here uh, that is Abe uh, Abraham Joseph, who I, um, I spoke about him a little bit earlier, but I will um, allow him to introduce himself and uh, speak a little bit about his um, experience in asking for references and how he went about that. So. Abe, thank you for joining us. And you can go ahead.
3: You spoke about me. I hope it was all good stuff. But of course. <laughs> um, no, I'm just joking around. Um, yeah, I, to be quite frank, when I when I was when I came in, I came in a little bit late, so I apologize for that. Um, but Linda's Linda's presentation was very comprehensive. So it really covered a, a lot of of things that I would say that are very important. What I would turn to in terms of my experience. So I'm a PhD student um, in the health policy and and equity program. Um, I did my master's as well in that program. And I did an undergraduate degree at York as well, but my undergraduate degree was in psychology. So I changed departments, so to speak. Um, And a lot of the points that Dr. Van Dremel brought up Are really important and they really funnel to uh, essentially getting to know your professors, creating personal relationships with your professors. And when I was in psychology, this was not something I was even on my radar. It wasn't even, I I did not even think about it. in terms of applying to master's programs, it really puts you in a place where you don't have any letters, right? So in, to get into our master's program, you need three letters, which is a very is a lot of letters. So um, what you need to do is essentially what what, what Dr. Van Jermall said is you need to be strategic. If you're in third year, it's a really good opportunity now to start thinking about, okay, first thing I would do, and this is what I did and a lot of students is what am I interested in? Like what is the specific place? Not like, okay, I like psychology or I like health policy, but what is the specific thing that I want to go and and research and who are the professors that are doing that thing? And then I do my research like a lot of the slides that were presented to you, know do your research, do your homework, which means when you do decide to either do email or reach out and and try and set up an uh, in-person connection, That you know everything that there is to know about that professor, and because what it does is it gives you access points. And think of it like this: if you are going and uh, make a a very simple analogy, if you meet someone in a class and you get along with them, and then you make a organize a chance to be social with them, well, you want to think you're like thinking, okay, I want to I want to do a good job, want them to like me, I want to I want to have a good time. Well that's kind of what you have to do with your professors. You have to create a situation, find the opportunities to connect. If they're doing cool research, then, you know, do all the do all the reading in that area. That will also that will help you build a connection with the professor, but it will also actually move you along in your own research and your own discovery of the actual thing that you want to do. So it's not just about Um, And the point I'm making is that it's not just about ticking boxes. It's not just about um, doing a strategy for figuring the thing out. While that's true, you need to be strategic you also are trying to do something, like you're trying to be a researcher or you're trying to pursue nursing or you're trying to do something. So you want to actually engage that thing. And often what I've found, especially in academia and other, other grad students, when you do that in really intentional and comprehensive ways, it ends up pushing you in the direction of making the connections and actually being able to um, fulfill the, the goals that you're, that you're aiming for. So I know I'm kind of rambling, um, but that's that's kind of that would be my that would be my suggestion broadly speaking. Um, in terms of the the specific letters, I think that uh, what you can what you will find as you move through uh, academia, if you progress through academia, and it's something that you end up wanting to do, is that you'll have different professors that have different approaches to letters, right? And so some professors really um, will die live and die by writing the letters themselves some professors will say I want you to write a letter and then I will edit it heavily and then submit it Um, and while that's not necessarily what is supposed to happen that is what will end up being the the lay of the land and as a student um, knowing what your strengths are Um, Knowing what is important in your statement all those things that's going to help you actually be able to uh, be prepared to uh, uh, kind of set those things up with with your professors. So the name of the game is starting early, I guess, and I think that that's probably mimics what what you've already heard, I think, and I'm obviously obviously I'm open to any questions that you have, but (laughs) I think I feel like I've rambled enough there.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. I did have one question. Uh, so you did did your undergraduate in um, psychology. How was that experience in you applying for um, public health or health policy? Sorry, how did um, how was asking for you know psychology professors references to that program when, of course, there's a correlation, but it's not the exact same, right? So no, it's a great sense.
3: question. It's a really good question. Um, my letters were horrible. <laughs> when you know, I, mean, I say horrible. They're not horrible. I, I'm, being, I'm being dramatic. My letters they weren't fantastic letters because I didn't have a lot of experience ahead of when I applied um, in terms of even you know this type of workshop, right? Um, I one of my letters I it was quite late um, that I that I ended up uh, getting it. Um, which was the final letter. But the other two, I did already have an actual relationship with the professors. One of the professors was in public uh, health policy because I had taken a course there. So I had had a chance to build that relationship um, you know, by going in and, and doing a lot of the things that I think have been recommended by uh, Dr. Manjemo here. But I think, you know, I, I, I did get end up getting in. But you I never you never know what's on the other side, right? You you never know if you're gonna be going against a hundred people or five people or whatever. So whether I got in or not, having a good is not really is not so much the important thing. The important thing is that we know that it is quite competitive, and the important things to focus on is really building those relationships and finding opportunities to connect. Whether it's with grad students that can support you in developing your 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 applications and give you good feedback, going directly to the source, going to different professors, um, and just exposing yourself and finding the opportunities to expose yourself um, to various different things, different people in, in these positions because they're going to give you really good feedback. Um, and while it is sometimes uncomfortable, like like uh, Dr. Vendramino pointed out, um, really it is the it is the from what I found the only path to really improving your your chances is really just kind of leaning into that a little bit of that discomfort around correcting and learning and what does that answer your question a little bit
0: yes it does it's great thank you okay so just a final thank you to um, Abe and Professor Van Jummel for uh, being here and um, giving us these tips and answering our questions, um, yeah, I'll let them close
2: out and say a little bit. A little bit. Sure. So I'm happy to go first. Um, I think that uh, the key takeaway is, first of all, um, you know, there's no harm in asking. You need to ask for these references, um, so don't feel nervous about asking. But um, I've given you some ideas around things that you can do around making decisions about engaging with your professors, letting them get to know you, and then how you set up the ask strategically. So you give yourself the best possible chance of a yes. And then just remember, if you get a no, many times um, it's actually good news to get a no because if a professor has to say no, um, they're truly doing it because they don't think that they can add value to your, um, your application. So you want to make sure that um, you do get those, the letters that are going to give you the biggest bang for your buck for your application.
0: And I feel, like,
3: I feel like it's not fair that I go after you because that's just not it's just not fair. But OK, I, I think what what I would I would say is, you know, as, as you're speaking, I was thinking about this. One of the things that I found really challenging is, is, is this process like I do. I really empathize. I think it's a challenging process. I think it's important. Um, one of the main things that I found to be really helpful is if you can, if you find that you have the ability, then. Find ways to volunteer, offer your services. When I say connect, look for ways, look for research that's going on. Talk to, talk to different profs. Ask them if they have space on their research team for someone to learn, where you will come and show up and just learn. And I'm not saying that they will, again, this is it's not something that they're going to say yes to all the time, right? So you have to be prepared to be getting no's. But if you have the capacity to do that, meaning like you're not working three jobs and also doing school and all these things, um, it it is something to consider that to maybe, okay, I can offer, you know, four hours a week, possibly maybe I can get myself into this research group or this research group. And that is a fantastic way um, to try and make some of these connections and build connections. You never know what can come from those things. I'm on a project right now where that's literally the, the reason why I, I'm at the place that I'm at. I mean, it, it's, it's a little bit removed now, like I happened a while ago, but um, it was really just from constantly or consistently, let's say, um, offering time and, and trying to engage uh, different people. So that's what I would, I would leave you with and then everything, all the rest of the really important things that, that uh, Dr. Van Dremel had, had shared with you, yeah.
1: Maria
2: do you wanna right? Oh yeah
0: sorry <laughs> thank you both both very much. Um, and thank you to everybody who is here today listening and as well as everybody who will be listening later on. Thank you as well um, for all your, your support.